The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle Hyman, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who is my pumpkin, Josh Borboni. How are you this fine evening? I didn't read I didn't read that part. Did you just add it recently? <laughs> no, it's been I in the notes that. the whole time. <laughs> oh, well, you made me blush. <laughs> Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All things considered, it's been uh, two lazy days in a row, so I don't feel super accomplished, but I also don't feel terrible, so I'll take that as a win. <laughs> lazy days are important sometimes. you got to have those every once in a while to recharge the batteries, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel guilty taking lazy days at this point, especially with a four-year-old, because that means it's a lazy day for him, too. Um, and, you know, I'm, I feel obligated, too. Make sure he's constantly engaged in tasks. But other than that, other than my guilt, it was okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm sorry you feel guilty about that. I had a coworker many, many years ago who was absolutely convinced that, and I'm going to be treading on thin ice here, but again, this is his opinion, not mine, that uh, the reason that so many kids have... ADHD and things like that yeah. is because we never allow kids just time to chill out, that we're always engaging them in something, always jangling something in front of them or showing them something or getting them from thing to thing to thing and constantly sure. stimulating them when they're young. And as a result, they just can't chill out when they get a little bit older. Boy, do I ever <laughs> disagree with that. Did this person not have kids? <laughs> oh, they have six, I think. So first off... I got chastised yesterday for making a joke that I had OCD. Uh, so the people who are listening that know this joke will think it's funny. So uh, it's I guess you can't say that anymore. You can't say you have o- OCD because it's a serious thing that people have, which it I don't. Is a serious di- thing. I don't disagree with. I think I have like marginal OCD. Like he he didn't put his piece where he was supposed to on his board, and it was yeah all I could think about. Yeah, but I, it's not. It wasn't OCD. Marcel, Marcel doesn't listen to this, so I'd be shocked if he did. Um, but then when I was like, made the joke to say, like, I definitely have ADHD, he was like, yeah, you probably do. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> 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 There's no doctors around to diagnose me. <laughs> so ADHD is punching up now, apparently? I guess. I, yeah, okay. I mean, always punch up, never punch down. Um, That's right. But my, I was going to joke, when we got a dog... And I used the same logic as having a child. I was like, we can train this dog to be chill, right? We can yeah. train this dog to just want snuggles and lay on the couch. Like, that was the no. goal, right? Right. And then I I think the same thing with my son. I'm like, I want him to be chill and relax and just to hang out with mommy and daddy on the couch or outside or whatever. Just to yeah. be able to do one thing and focus on that. In both times, it failed. Like, 
<laughs> drastically. The dog that we tried doing that with, he was he's like my son. If if dogs can be reincarnated into humans, that's what we got because it needs to be one task, but they're doing three other things while the task is happening. Well, that's the ridiculous thing about dogs, though, too, is that dogs sleep most of the day. The vast majority of the day is dogs sleeping, but that's when we're asleep and at work. (laughs) And they just sleep. So then we're all exhausted, but you come home and the dog's like, yo, I have done nothing other than wait for you to engage with me for the next six hours while I'm actually awake today. So that's why they're always like, let's do stuff, because they literally have slept for 18 hours. (laughs) So, you know. Yeah, no I, big deal. I it's always fine. wonder why my son is up at 5 a.m. full of energy wanting to play Play-Doh. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because you go to bed at 6.30 p.m. Right. In my head, I'm not thinking you're getting 11 hours of sleep. I'm like, why are you not sleeping later? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It all just well, comes back to me being selfish. It really is what it comes back to. <laughs> well, I think what it comes back to is you start, need to start going to bed at 6.30, Josh. You know, I've tried that. Waking up at 3 a.m. wide awake, not a fun experience. <laughs> I mean, as a, like making you a really big morning person, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like cooking eggs the ultimate at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Wake my son up. <laughs> He's like, now I'm up at 3. <laughs> uh, I, have a, I have a good friend who uh, is up pretty much at 5 every day with their kids. Yeah, me. And I... Are you up that early too? Is He's it five up. o'clock? He's up anywhere between five and five forty-five every morning. Oh my goodness! Regardless of, imagine. we push his bedtime later now to hopefully encourage him to sleep in later. It hasn't changed yet. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh... I, I fall asleep on the couch and I put on Octonauts. <laughs> I give him a good hour of watching TV. I went to bed last night about two. Oof. So I can't imagine then having to get up at 5, five yeah. or 5.45. Yeah. In my younger days, that wouldn't have been such a big deal. Uh, even though last night I just got super wrapped up in what I was doing, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I don't stay up that late very often anymore. But I, I do often stay up till midnight and get up at 6.30. Yeah, I mean, six hours isn't terrible. No. Uh, but it just depends on how that how how that sleep is. Yeah, and six hours isn't terrible, but they're definitely, I will hit a wall at some point where I'm like, forget it. I have to go to bed at like 9.30 or 10 for a few days in a row just to kind of reset Yeah, and get like kind of that sleep debt caught up a little bit. But, you know, you. hey, for the pregame topic this week, Josh, I really, I want to talk to you a little bit about seasons and not in the Daniel Tosh joke about seasons, um, but about actual seasons when it comes specifically to game releases and i want to be very clear i don't really care that much about if a game like so there was a controversy quote-unquote controversy (laughs) recently because people were thought that halo was going to release in the fall but then the question is december fall still and technically it's still fall because winter doesn't start until like december 21st or whatever you know december's fall yeah. yeah so the question being is josh when you hear seasons like is it fall yet for you like is right now fall like when does fall start what is spring what is summer like how are how do you determine that how do you feel about that so death loop which is coming out in like a week yeah is that a fall game to you like how does that all work in your head uh i don't know i feel like we're people keep pushing seasons yeah and i 
definitely think like today, for example, felt like a fall day, Mm -hmm. but it felt like a beginning of fall day because like fall is every season is interesting how it feels like the beginning of fall is 70s. The end of fall is 50s, 40s, 30s. It depends. But today was like, I'm in jeans. I was in jeans all day. Uh, It was borderline raining, but not quite raining. It was 70, fill in the blank, whatever. So it felt like a fall day, but no. I mean, here it's easier for me to identify holidays, holiday seasons, because they, like, my physical environment changes. We, Mm -hmm. our trees change color, and that's how I judge fall. In fact, I often forget, like, if I've passed the fall. I always know when the date for fall starts, but I always often forget that we've passed it, unless the season shows it to me. You know, like... And with like climate change and everything that's going on, um, we we went from four seasons to two here. We only have two Mm -hmm. seasons now, and it's summer and winter. Um, because we've we have eighty five degrees days in October now, so yeah, we don't have a fall anymore. I would say spring is more prevalent than fall, but yeah, it is weird. Um. I guess the best way to do it if you're trying to determine seasons is to go by the calendar, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's like accurate representation anymore of the feeling of the season. Yeah, I I would agree that I tend, because I've worked in higher education for my entire professional career, seasons tend to be based off of, for the most part, the school calendar. Like right now to me, since we are currently recording this on Labor Day weekend, hmm. historically, I'd be like, it is now fall. Oh, I get you. Because, yeah. You know, like, so for me, just that feeling of we're into fall, school has started, like summer is wrapped up, like the state fairs are over, like all of that is like wrapping up. So we're kind of into fall now moving forward. I do agree with you, though, that I feel like <laughs> it really seems like we stay way warmer, way longer than we used to. Um, yeah. I remember a year or two ago, I was walking my dogs on Thanksgiving in shorts. That doesn't, that never happened. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, like that's not a thing that I could do in the past. But so for me, that's always kind of been fall. Fall's kind of always been around Labor Day to about Thanksgiving. And then for me, anything post Thanksgiving is kind of been winter to me. And yeah. I don't know if it's because where the Christmas feel comes in at that point. Um, and for me, like winter, quote unquote, is pretty much Thanksgiving to like spring break. Right. And then spring break until Memorial Day is like spring and the Memorial Day to Labor Day is summer. That's just yeah. kind of the way things feel to me because it's very based on the school year calendar. Like that is kind of how school tends to run. Summer basically is, you know, Memorial to Labor Day because that's when you're not really in school. Granted, now, depending on what state you're in, depends on where you, when your schools start. In Minnesota, they never started until after Labor Day. Um, here, like we started school a couple weeks ago. So it's a little bit different now. But in general, that tends to be like what my feeling is. So like... Deathloop, even though it technically is not releasing in autumn, right. is still a fall game to me. <laughs> uh, Halo, technically, like by my calendar, would be a winter game. Now, I don't care that it's coming out in winter. Like, whatever, that's totally fine. But that's just like the feeling to me is that feels like a winter yeah. date. So, yeah. And even like Horizon in February now, still winter. a winter game to me. Yeah. You know, it's still a winter game. So, I don't know. Do you have any with 
what I just shared, any adjustments to that? Anything? Are you similar? Are you really different? What are your thoughts? No, I agree with you. Um, I mean, things have definitely changed. I, I have a wedding to go to on December 12th, and I'm, I honestly don't know how to dress. Right. Because you said Thanksgiving. I remember a Christmas not too long ago where we were outside on someone's back patio because it was like 65 degrees out on Christmas mm-hmm. Day. And and same with Thanksgiving. I remember Thanksgiving being like in the 70s and being out in, in my sister-in-law's parents' house, just like spending the day out there because you could. Right. Um, it, it, it's very interesting. I I don't even know that seasons are really that important anymore because you just kind of have to adjust day to day anyways. What yeah. does it matter? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Even for I, farmers, like we change all we change time for farmers and stuff, but really they can't just rely on it being fall now. No, not at all. Not at all. And I remember when I was young, I granted I grew up a few hours north of where I am now, but whether or not we were gonna have a white Christmas was never in doubt. Like there was oh, no really? question as to whether there was gonna be a white Christmas. Now every year I'm like, I wonder if we're going to have a white yeah. Christmas, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, it, yeah, it's it's things have changed. Things have definitely changed. And obviously, my recollections and my nice stories are not statistical proof of anything, but I feel like things are different. Sure. So, cool. All right. Well, with that and talking about seasons, we're going to move on to the show proper. So, thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. We're a proud part of playing some video games, and PSVG is on Patreon. We are thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG, just like some of our wonderful Patreon producers have, like Edwin Kahlo, AJ Pentecost, Chris M., Devin Tyus, Horse Girl 69 moved way up in the rankings as far as names <laughs> being read, Joe Wilson, Josh Borboni, Nick Creature, Nick Fallhaber, Paul Calicoat, RJ Kern, Stephen Keller, and of course, Zach Adams. <laughs> It's because they don't want to end on. They don't want you to end on saying that. That's why. I guess so. I guess that is the decision that they made. Uh, We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network. So if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. And one final note: by the time you're listening to this, hopefully you have submitted your Metafall 2021 prediction. They are due in just a few hours from when we're recording this. So hopefully you got yours in and we will be talking and giving you updates throughout the fall so be on the lookout for that of course though we are going to go ahead and start the way we have been for the last few weeks i kind of gotten back to you josh what have you been playing recently i finished my homework officially i finished dodgeball academia just under 15 hours which was kind of crazy because i thought this was going to be like a six hour game and yeah. when i Got to the twelve hour point. I was like, "What am I doing with my life?" <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't um, um, get a perfect gamer score. There was uh, a specific challenge that I couldn't beat, which was a solo tournament style. But only you play solo. You're going up against teams of more than three players at some points, and I just couldn't finish it. Maybe I'll be strong enough now. <clears throat> um, really fun game. Really satisfying ending. 
Uh, very funny, tongue-in-cheeky style game that has a lot of like nods to video gaming and board gaming and stuff like that. Um, and it acknowledges its over-the-top nature. Um, you're you're a kid, by the way, who run, ran away from home because you were supposed to go to referee school, and instead you go to Dodgeball Academy, um, where lots of crazy things happen in the way. But uh, yeah, yeah, I would say check it out. It was it was a ton of fun. I'm glad uh, and fortunate that you gave me that for homework because, um, well, that was the randomizer, right? So thank you, Xbox. Uh, <laughs> but yes, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, to continue on the Game Pass train, I I started 12 minutes, which a lot of people and the internet have been talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, <laughs> so I st- okay. I uninstalled it. Uh, I. I can see the appeal to certain people, but essentially it is a time loop. It is a Groundhog Day um, style game. But what I didn't enjoy was I didn't feel any accomplishment. So you play the game, the events transpire, you perish, and you start again. And then you have to use the information from the first, you know, encounter to prolong your life really you're just trying to survive longer and you make you say the wrong thing to your wife or you make the wrong move and it just doesn't it's not uh, satisfying it's frustrating and knowing that the small changes I did in the probably hour that I played where I was like okay I'll do this okay I do this okay now I'm going to do this and I want to do this with what I'm doing, but I'm not allowed to do it. Like, it's like just from simply picking up an object you think you can use and then it doesn't let you do it. So I'm like, right. well, so I just predicted more frustration than enjoyment. So I kind of shut it down. But uh, listening to the new Play Some Video Games podcast, I think I was inspired to, inspired to, I think I'm going to watch a YouTube like playthrough of it so I can see, like, because apparently it has a supposed plot twist or at least a twist. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, great. Someone's beeping. Uh, so uh, we'll <laughs> Can I see. Can some questions about 12 oh, yeah, minutes? Of course, really uh, did you play it on your PC or on Xbox? On Xbox. Okay. Um, I have this actually downloaded on my PC. Um, and I've, I've heard that playing it on PC might be much a better experience just because of controls. Does that sound right to you based off of your experience? Yeah, it's a yeah. You have like a legitimate point and click game. It really is a point and click game, yeah. Okay. And I did Second. find myself frustrated with the the analog stick trying to highlight like a light switch. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I Oh, here's my next question. I was like I had to. Uh so are you saying that this game is less good than the movie Palm Springs? Oh, yeah. I mean, Palm Springs is a great movie. Okay, so this um, is not as good as Palm Springs when it comes to the, the time loop thing. I'll say this. The acting is great. The voice acting is great. In fact, Daisy Ridley and... Um, uh, <laughs> is it James McAvoy? James McAvoy. I was going to say Professor X. Uh, they both do American accents, and they sound great. Like, you can't even okay. tell. Um, so I thought they did a good job, and Willem Dafoe does a good job as well, but uh, just not good enough for me to force myself to play more. <laughs> yeah, I we'll see. I had it downloaded and initially people were like, oh, this game is super unique. People are really going to like it. But then everything I have seen since then has been people being like, it is not worth it. 
it's unique in the camera angle at, and that's it. Uh, okay. If you've played any like point and click adventure game, I, I think it's pretty much the same idea. So are you, you know, my gaming taste a little bit. Are you saying I should skip this game? I think you could like this game. Okay. It falls into <laughs> so that. Like, this game is bad. I don't like it, but you might like it. There's a weird um, niche area between the two of us that you yeah. fall into that I don't. I think this could this could be in that area. Okay, I'll check it out then. Like I said, I have a download it. I was planning to check yeah. it out for this week and just didn't get around to it quite yet. So. Yeah, at least okay. give it a shot. Um, uh, going on the Game Pass bandwagon, although I don't own this game from Game Pass, just happens to be on there. I um, am back in... Uh, well, I shouldn't say I'm back. I started playing Destiny 2 again. <laughs> um, the appeal of crossplay and knowing that I had a lot of friends who played on different um, platforms uh, made me want to jump back into this. And some people have jumped way back uh, into it than I have, like deeper, deeper down the wormhole. Uh, I just jumped back into notice how much has changed. And I feel like this happens every time I pick up Destiny. Where so much has changed. Like, you know the basic functionality of Destiny, but I'm like, wait a second, what is this little blip off of the tower? And I go into this place and it's a whole new area and I can't do anything. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I guess I'll just focus on my quests. Like, right. It's just, it's a lot different. I want to relearn Destiny because I still love Destiny. And Destiny would have been a great game to fill in the weird in between times we've had over the year. Mm -hmm. But it moves so fast, I don't know that that you can keep going, I can keep going back to it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's like relearning it every time. Yeah. Can be frustrating. But um, it's still satisfying to get in and use my scout rifle and pick out some Vex and take out some bad guys. So, yes, I uh, did that. Okay, so uh, video game-wise, lastly, I'll talk about Aliens Fireteam Elite, I believe it's called. I just put Aliens Fireteam. Um, I played, I made a mandate with uh, Lucas Rose of Flux Depose and former PSVG Prime fame, and we played, uh, I, I don't want to say two-player, we played together on a fire team uh, <laughs> with with a bot. We didn't play with a random stranger. And we played, he had already completed the first mission. Well, each mission has three parts. I guess I'll call it Act 1 of Mission 1. He had already done that, so we did Act 2 and 3 of Mission 1. Had a blast playing it. Had a lot of fun. He had some hiccups. He's playing on the Predict Scorpio that I sent him. And I didn't, and I'm playing on the Series X. So I feel like there's definitely when you run into the too many aliens to deal with situation, it does chug a little bit on the last gen. But that being said, it didn't seem to bother him too much. And it was not noticeable for me that he was struggling. I think we did pretty well and we succeeded in our missions and it was a lot of fun. And I think it's funny that, so if you look at the main menu of aliens, there's, I think, four missions, and then there's a thing called Horde Mode, which is locked, but essentially every mission is Horde Mode. So I guess I'm assuming that Horde Mode is just like an endless loop of like a level, because I'm like, I'm already doing Horde Mode. Why is it locked? <laughs> uh, 
But it is fun. The different alien types are a lot of fun, especially when you run into like a spitter alien or a poison alien or a, a hunter or a predator alien. Like they just come after you and it feels very much left for dead where mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, it's coming. There's even like named aliens based off of like people that transformed into aliens who were like uber aliens. It's a lot of fun. Um and uh, it does a really good job because they they do a great job at making you run out of ammo and spacing out ammo drops like far enough away that you need to manage your ammo better. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I played at Lucas, I, I ran into a few times where I was just down to my handgun. And that never happened when I played solo. And it's also terrifying because <laughs> it's not a re- <laughs> like you have nine bullets and then it reloads. It's infinite ammo, but like... It doesn't matter if you get 15, like, soldier aliens running at you, which very right. much behave like ants. So it's easy to predict what they're going to do, which is kill you. <laughs> can, can I ask you a question? And I of know course. that this is probably, I am going to potentially show my um, behind here a little bit in my knowledge of alien yeah. and aliens and all this good stuff. I'm a fan. I, I have watched the Alien movies, but I'll be honest, not in a very long time. It's been yeah. a really long time since I saw, like, probably since the late 90s, since I've watched an Alien movie. Now, I always thought that the scary thing about Alien or Alien was that it only really took one xenomorph to take out a whole lot of people. Yes. So now you have Alien's fire team, where apparently they're just cannon fodder all of a sudden. Yeah. Right? Like, you were just mowing them down. Isn't that kind of weird in, like, just as alien lore goes? Uh, No, I would say it isn't. Um, That alien lore kind of dissolved after Alien. Like, Aliens and all the the future iterations, it really, it really, like, eliminated the... um, horror aspect and went to action and like aliens like you just it's an onslaught of aliens it is that's true the the best alien movie is alien and that is the fear of the unknown but alien aliens the xenomorphs uh, are hive um broods uh so their goal is to infest right their their goal isn't to like um, like inhabit one area. It's to inhabit, and then um, I was gonna say invest, and that's not the word I want to use. Um, <laughs> impregnate and grow to the whim of the queen. So it's like bees meets ants, or ants really. Probably ants is a better um comparison. Uh, and then, like Prometheus, muddies up the the water on how you should be viewing aliens. Okay. Um, but when you watch Alien, like the the um, the forerunners are in Alien, and you get that preview of like what Prometheus is supposed to be. Uh, where I think it's still a little foggy on forerunners and eggs and why these things are cohabitating because aliens shouldn't be. I don't know. I'm probably making it more confusing no, for th- people. No, this makes sense. This makes sense, though, because that's why you had alien isolation, and that's why this is aliens fire team. 
Yes, it's more... Well, this actually takes place, I think, 29 years after the trilogy. Mm-hmm. So it's even even more... Um, I think the, the idea of it is, is that uh, we know where to look, really. Like, it's a galaxy full of unknown, but now we know where to look for aliens. Gotcha. But, I, I mean... Know, I don't know. <laughs> that's, you know, it's no alien versus predator, though, right? No, it's not Freddy versus Jason either. <laughs> like a just a cash grab. Uh, speaking of aliens, uh, the last thing I play to talk about is Alien: Fate of the Nostromo. This is a Ravensburger board game. Uh, the best way for me to describe it to you is Pandemic meets Horrified, uh, but not as good as either of those games. <laughs> so again, though, whole bunch like swarms of aliens coming after people. No. <laughs> One alien. <laughs> Wait, now we're back to... Okay, okay. It is alien, check. not aliens. I know, it is alien. Kidding. I know. Um, and it's not even the queen. It's just a regular old xenomorph. Um, <laughs> and, okay. And actually, to gamify it, it's a little bit like Among Us. You played this board game with... I mean, no one's a traitor. I mean, that should be clear. It's Among Us as far as task... Um, okay goes so you play uh there it's a five player game we played four so we had one character that was out every game we did randomly shuffle them every time we played a new game we played four games until we finally won uh the first time so you get objectives plus one to the player count so we had to complete five objectives to get to the final mission meanwhile you're being chased or hunted by the xenomorph as you move through the Nostromo. And uh, what is happening is you're trying to craft weapons or items mm-hmm. to either help you keep the xenomorph away or to complete your objectives. Um, some might be like have two people with an O2 canister in the workshop. For us, it was like have four people in the o- with an O2 canister in the workshop. Um, but moving through the map is very much like Among Us, where only cert- sometimes you can go up or down stairs, but a lot of corridors are blocked off. So you have to like manipulate your way through the board while avoiding the alien. The alien moves typically at the end of every person's turn. So you do, oh. you do however many actions your character has. Uh, they range from three actions to five actions, four being the most common. Uh, where that's similar to Pandemic. You can use as many action points as you have on the same thing as like move or trade or pick up or drop items. Um, As long as you can do that and you have enough actions, that's what you do. And then you get to the final mission if you get to the final mission, which is a bigger challenge to complete. Um, I think it does, the game does everything fine. It doesn't do anything great. Um, if you want to play an alien game though, for 30 bucks, it's a pretty good bargain for the type of game you're getting. Because I think like the next thing up is you have to start looking at games like Nemesis, which are like a hundred dollars. So you, to capture the alien feel, um, except for maybe escape from the aliens in outer space, which is Mm -hmm. by Osprey games, which the first thing I said was, I kind of want to play this game next time instead. Okay. So it's um, 
it's a fun theme. Uh, it does a good job at being a fine board game, but it's not it's it's not something that I don't think I'm going to recommend to people in the way like that Jaws like really captured the theme of the movie. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that is Alien Fate of the Nostromo, which I think it's a cool name. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it has a lot of good things going for it, just doesn't really deliver on them. Gotcha. All right, Josh. Well, for me, I've been playing three things that I wanted to talk about this week. The first one being Dustin Off and Going Back to talk a little bit about uh, AC Valhalla. Uh, I did finish up the Wrath of Druids DLC. Nice. So. Now I have moved on to Frankia uh, for the ne- next DLC, but I just kind of got there and then stopped. <clears throat> Excuse me. I will say overall, as far as DLC goes, the Wrath of Druids is pretty good. Uh, the story, I, I, I guess I don't really rely on Assassin's Creed to blow me away with twists and turns of storytelling. <laughs> uh, it, it was a pretty straightforward story there was one kind of wrinkle at the end and you know just like they have tended to do with these more recent games with odyssey and origins uh just a little itsy bitsy bit of out of this world um since you know fighting (laughs) not real things and some, some some sensationalism in there uh but still fun one something i can't totally get over with this game though is I got back into it pretty easily. Like, really didn't have much issue with um, getting comfortable with the controls and everything. But I ended up going in, and there's this one optional kind of boss thing you can do that I ended up doing. And I'm level, or my power level is like 300 something right now. But the boss was like still above me. Like, the boss was enough above me that its name was red. Like, oh, you should be careful. Like, this is going to be hard for you. And I absolutely smote that thing. Like, it it just wasn't really that challenging. So I don't know if just the combat is that straightforward in this game compared to... Because I do remember, like, in Odyssey and Origins, like, every once in a while, you'd get yourself into a little bit of a tight situation. And I just really never feel like this happened with me in Valhalla. Like, I, I very, very rarely, if I am even paying attention remotely... Uh, been put in a in a tough situation so yeah i mean if like, to wrap my thoughts up on it if you enjoyed ac valhalla and want more of that definitely go ahead check it out there is a couple interesting new little wrinkles you do get some uh, new cast members if you would into the world of valhalla that are um, interesting cast members and i could see potentially since they have added another year of dlc for 2022 uh, those people playing roles hopefully um, in some of those things because there might be some neat things they can do with that uh, as far as trade and some other things that they have added so like I said, if you have AC Valhalla, looking for more of it, I think Wrath of Druids is pretty good. Uh, I haven't started Frankie the um, France one yet. Why am I blanking on the name of it? But anyway, um, I haven't started that one. Siege of Paris, that's what it is. I haven't started that one yet. So I don't know if I'm saying, yes, go ahead, buy the full season pass. Uh, but, you know, keep an eye on it. If it becomes affordable or goes on sale, something like that, might be something to at least check out. The next game I played then... Uh, is I picked up uh, this little game called Splitgate. Josh, have you heard of Splitgate at all? I have. I'm very interested to hear um, your thoughts because I keep thinking about trying this game. Okay. So, listener, if you aren't familiar, Splitgate is kind of a, I don't want to say it's a, the hotness of the moment, but it's definitely a game that is kind of 
on a lot of people's radars right now. Uh, it is a free-to-play first-person shooter that the general, what everyone is saying is is that it is um, Portal meets Halo. Yeah. And for the most part, it is, I would say, with a slight dash of Unreal Tournament. Just oh. a little kiss of Unreal <laughs> Tournament. Um. So I picked it up. Played it. I played a few hours. This is why I was up until two in the morning last night. If that tells you any idea wow. about it, uh, Josh, I really like this game. Like Ooh. I like this game a lot. Uh, I am somebody who I can't even tell you the number of hours I played Halo Three multiplayer. It was a lot of hours, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of Halo Three multiplayer. And I get a lot of the feeling of that while I'm playing this game. Uh, the reason I say Unreal Tournament, um, a dash in there, just because you do have like a jetpack, so there's a lot of like quick, like sustained, like up, turn, move, shoot down type stuff that's going on. Like in the olden days, from what I remember, Unreal Tournament when I was in college playing it, so that was a long time ago. Movement and how you were turning and looking, there was it was very vertical, and there was your ability to go vertical, not just like I am running up this thing, but you can jetpack up and all that good stuff. So that's yeah. why I feel like that where that kiss comes from of that, but. It, I don't want to say it's a shameless ripoff of Halo because it, it really isn't, but it has all of the Halo um, game modes and things that you'd expect. Like there is just straight up team deathmatch. There is oddball. Uh, there's SWAT. There's VIP. Uh, there, so there's all of these uh, tra- uh, shoddy snipes. Like there's all these very traditional game modes that are just built in. And one of the things they do that's really interesting is when you log into the game, it puts you through kind of a general training just so you can know how to everything moves and how everything works, how to use the portals, all that good stuff. Um, and then after that, until you reach level t- five or level 10, one of the two, it just puts you in like a se- ostensibly a mosh pit playlist of those different game modes and you can't change it. Uh, you have to just like, you just have to kind of play through them because they want you to know how to play all of those game modes. Yeah. Uh, and initially it definitely is mostly against bots. Uh, my first couple games were definitely very bot heavy. Uh, but after that, probably about game three or game four, I started seeing more actual players. And then after that, it was pretty much all other players that were in it. Now, the downfall so far is that since this is the quote unquote casual playlist, there's really not any matchmaking considerations as far as skill goes. Now, I know skill based matchmaking in the Call of Duty world is a big hullabaloo uh but in this game like literally as a level five i was going against people who are like level 60 so just map knowledge and things like that that you can't really make up in that like skill shooting skill for sure but map knowledge especially when the whole thing that's the wrinkle of this game is portal placement right like you can shoot a portal so basically what you can do is with your bumpers um your left bumper um would put like one portal here, your right bumper would put the other portal. So it's an orange and purple portal. Yeah. And then you can see between them. Now it's not on every surface. There are designated surfaces that they can go through that you can put them on. And then the only grenades in this game are basically EMP grenades that you can blow up opposing teams portals. Oh, okay. So that's the only grenade that exists in the game. Um, and then with a push of the left D pad, gets rid of your left portal and the push of the right D pad gets rid of your right portal. So that way is how kind of how you move them around. Now, how this the easy way to explain how this works is there's one specific map that I can think of, don't know the name of it. I think there's like 11 or 12 maps that's that at launch here that it's basically like two spires in the middle that each team spawns in. And 
on the sides of them though are surfaces that accept portals. So what you basically can do is like turn around, run out the back of your base, put one portal there, right out the back of your base, kind of look and see, and as far as you can see, you can throw portals. So like literally you can put a portal all the way on like the side of that other team's base and then just turn around and look through your portal and you're looking right into their base and you can shoot at them. <laughs> so like that's kind of like the gameplay loop of like why these portals are so important. Yeah. And then honestly, they can shoot back at you through them as well. So it's not like you're like invincible through there, but they can shoot right back at you. Um, but also like if you are in a firefight, it, it, you can have one of your team members like portal behind the other team. And just come out, and that was one thing that in one of the game modes, like the team I was on, we that this is the hard part. There were games that were like fifty to forty-seven. There was one game we lost fifty to seven. Oof, <laughs> like it was rough. And I went six and two or something like that. Yeah, because I was just like, we're this is just completely ridiculous. Like the entire team was all people who had like the beta tester like um, oh, screen right. name thing. So I was like, Oh goodness gracious. Um, but like literally like we spawned and one of the t- people from the other team, like um, portaled right behind the team and just like killed. And nobody even turned around to like shoot at them. <laughs> and I was like, Oh boy, this is going to be rough. So then I just kind of admittedly <laughs> kind of camped out the rest of the round. Cause like, this is going to be over real, real quick. Um, but it, it, so that part is pretty rough, but overall, if you like Halo, if you like, portal if you liked unreal tournament if you'd really enjoy any of those games i think Splitgate is a ton of fun the i will say i don't know that the art is for everyone uh there is it's in season zero right now because i think it's technically still an early access uh, but like i said it is free to play you don't have to pay any money for it if you want to all the money that you can pay to for the, like the battle pass all is for cosmetics um but you're gonna be at like if you especially if you played halo you're gonna be at home because uh, the gun that you start with, the carbine, feels just like the DMR. Mm-hmm. You can pick up a battle rifle that feels just like the BR. Um, they have an assault rifle that feels really similar. There is a rail gun that's a lot like the laser. Yeah. Um, you know, they have a shotgun that feels like sh- the shotgun sniper. Like all of that stuff, um, pretty much is there. Uh, so you're gonna be really at home if you played a lot of Halo. So since it's free to play, like I say, go for it. Like I think it's an easy recommend to pick up. I do believe. It is. I think it's cross platform. I think it's cross play. Mm. Um, that was gonna be my it. question for you. Yeah. yeah, because you can create like if it isn't right now, I think it's going to be in the future. But I'm pretty positive it is because you can create like a split gate account and have your split gate friends separate from your like friends list on your console. So I'm pretty positive it's cross play. Um, but yeah, like I said, if if you're into a multiplayer shooter. Uh, that's all it is. There's no campaign. There's no nothing else. Um, I think definitely give Splitgate a shot. Nice. Uh, it's quite a bit of fun. So the board game then that I have been playing, Josh, finally, finally, finally got ye old Sleeping Gods to the table. Uh, the game designed by Ryan Lockett and published by his company, Red Raven Games. Uh, this was a game that was a Kickstarter uh, a couple a year or two, two years ago, something like that, quite a while ago. Uh, came out actually shipped this year, um, so got it earlier in the year in the in the mail, and just kind of been waiting on on getting into it. Now, what Sleeping Gods is is it is a campaign game, and one thing that I think makes Sleeping Gods pretty different than most other campaign games is it's one to four players, but there are nine characters in the game, and no matter how many players you have, all nine characters are always being played. Oh no! So, which actually <laughs> I think is okay yeah. because it makes it really easy to add additional players or ta- or remove players because you are just taking those characters and shuffling them to new people. Uh, now, it is a little cumbersome because that means that I have 
four slash five characters that I am always keeping track of because the captain of your ship uh, is always controlled by whoever's turn it is. Yeah. So they're always like the extra player, but the, so they kind of um, go back and forth between who's controlling them. But back to the campaign part, one thing that's super unique about this game is that I, I've played a lot of quote unquote campaign games, right? Where you have this chapter and you go through these things. And then once that chapter is done, you reset, you re you get things going and then you start the next chapter of the game. That does not happen in sleeping gods In sleeping gods. You have a deck of hundreds. I think it's a couple hundred quests. And as soon as you complete a quest, it tells you to pick out a different quest and you just keep going and you might have multiple quests active at a time though. So there's really never an end or a chapter end. Like you just keep going and you just, as the people playing the game decide when you're done. And then there's a way for you to kind of save where you're at and put the game away and then take it all back out. But there's not really like, Oh, we're just going to do one chapter today. Like that's not a thing that happens in the game. And it's very both unique but also slightly off-putting because you really have no idea how much progress you're making. So the goal of the game is you are um, adventurers in 1929 who get through, you are caught in a storm on your ship and transported to this mystical world where your job is to awaken the sleeping gods of the world uh, so that they can send you home. And in order to do that, you have to go discover totems. So once you get a certain number of totems, I don't know how many yet, um, you can then awaken these gods to hopefully be sent home. So literally all these quests are, are you talking to someone and then they're like, oh, I heard that so-and-so at this place that's kind of over by this location might know something about it, about where a totem is located or might have a map where some totems are. So you're like, okay, that quest is completed. So my new quest is now to go find this village, which is northeast of this port. And then you're sailing your ship around to try to figure out where that village is. Uh, the game board is an, a little atlas that you put on the table and you flip from page to page of the atlas. So it's just a big map that you're kind of going around. Um, so it's really interesting. On your turn, you have ship actions. So you go through and you do um, a ship action, which is like gaining resources, maybe healing some people, a whole bunch of different little ship actions that you do. Uh, then you have an adventure kind of that occurs. And some of them are very, very simple that, um, you know, you see a, a crate in the ocean and you do you try to pull it on board and see what it has or you just let it go. Because um, most of ours have been pretty simple so far. They do get more... There's different categories of them. We haven't gotten to the like more extreme categories. Uh, and then after that, you have four actions that you can choose from that you take, and you have to take two on your turn. Um, that include like traveling, moving your boat, exploring, going to port, which is like for repairing your boat, uh, healing your characters, um, relieving them of their fatigue, kind of all of those different things. Um, but when you explore these different areas, these are where you kind of get into combat. Uh, the combat that they do is really interesting is it'll tell you to take specific creature cards out of a creature deck that is ordered from one to like 150. And I'll say like grab creature card 31, 32, and 33. And then you take the cards and you put them right next to each other. And the bottom of the cards then form this grid. So when you do damage to them, you actually like put damage droplets of blood um, on these on this grid but you have to always do it in a straight line, in a adjacent line. So like once you put one down, the next one has to go adjacent to that one. And the one after that has to go to adjacent to it, not diagonal. So like, it's pretty much going to be like, they tell you to think of like a, a slash, like you made a slash on the, on the enemy. Um, but it can roll over to the other enemies next to them, which is what they call splash damage. 
but how you kill enemies in the game is that they have certain numbers of hearts on these grids and you have to cover all of the hearts. So then it becomes this additional game of like, well, how do I cover as many hearts as I can knowing I have to make like basically kind of straight lines or, or adjacent like movements and placements of these blood droplets, but also knowing that if I don't cover up this one thing, they potentially could strike back and do more damage to me because they have like um, powers and things like that that are also on the card that if you cover up, then they can't do them. So it's this really interesting dance back and forth of trying to figure out like, how am I, what am I going to attack? Where am I going to attack? What is my partner going to attack? And like, who are they going to use and kind of how that's going to happen? Uh, so it's a really interesting, fun game. Like it, it's super complex. There's a lot of very small rules that are easy to forget about when do you pick things up? When do you not pick things up? Um, how do you use your abilities? Like how do you pay for your abilities? Like these things are E honestly easy to forget things because you get so caught up into like reading this huge story like the 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 story that comes with this is i think hundreds of pages long like it's wow. this huge book that you're that you're kind of going through and you make these decisions and you have skill checks of like hey do you want to try to steal this thing from this person do you want to kill them and just take it like like what do you want to do and then you have a skill check associated with it uh it's really cool i'm really enjoying the time with it it takes up a huge amount of space on the table um a ton of space because you have so many different game boards and all these different books you got to keep track of uh so there's a lot going on with it so but if you can get your hands on sleeping gods um and you enjoy a a fun adventure-based campaign i really encourage you to i don't know that you can get it right now i i don't know that's actually like available for sale anywhere uh, but if it does come back in stock, um, I would encourage people to check it out. The playtime is 60 to 1200 minutes. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, like I said, because it's just this campaign that there's an end, but it's not like there's chapters along the way, right? Like you just keep going until you feel like you want to stop for the night. So it, it's, which is weird. It's something that it takes a little bit of getting used to it. The one thing I will say as kind of a ding against the game. Oh, and I will say production. Amazing. The production value on the game, top notch. The art is great. Like Orion Lockett games always are like all that's really, really good. The one thing that is very, um, I don't want to say annoying, but kind of annoying, a, a ding I'd have against this is that there is an expansion for it. Well, there's actually a couple expansions for it. One of them is this Dungeons expansion that just comes in the ba in the box that lets you kind of explore the world and the dungeons in the world in a different way. It's a completely separate thing. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. But there's also an expansion that was part of the Kickstarter called Tides of Ruin. I got Tides of Ruin when I backed the Kickstarter. But literally what you do with this, Josh, is that in the base game, it's like, oh, adventure cards number one through 180. When Tides of Ruin is adventure cards number 181 through 220. Like literally you're just adding to the game that already exists. So much so that the Atlas in the main game, so the board in the main game will be like, hey, go north, but only if you have the Tides of Ruin expansion. Oh, no. So like you literally will kind of potentially feel like if you just have the base game that you're quote unquote missing out on yeah. content because it's built into the base game to be like, hey, you can go this direction, but only if you have this expansion. It definitely feels like that thing we sometimes accuse video games of doing of like cutting content yeah. so that you can add DLC. Tides of Ruin, I'm not saying they did do that, but it kind of, it feels that way a little bit. Like they sure. were like, hey, here's this other thing. Now. Maybe they did that to make the base game more affordable right. and that if people could afford it and they want to get this extra stuff, then you can buy it. But I, I, it kind of gives you that feeling of like, hey, we just cut this 
um, from what was supposed to be like a complete experience. So that was a long ramble, but Sleeping Gods, super good if you are into campaign games, if you are into um, adventure, being thoughtful, you kind of like that RPG light mechanic without having to have uh, a Dungeon Master. Uh, Sleeping Gods so far, really, really enjoying it. Um, We'll see how long it takes us. Oh, that's the other thing. Um, There is an easy and a hard mode, basically, to the game. Um, And for the easy mode, basically, like, you just kind of get to keep going. You basically just have to go back to port, like, reset everything, and then keep sailing on your adventure. So there is, like, whereas in the hardcore mode, uh, if you die, like, you have to restart the entire game over. And when the game might take 20 hours, um, that's a little daunting. So just know that you do have a kind of easy, quote-unquote, version of the game to play if you want to. Um, And that's totally what we're doing. We're playing it on the little bit easier level there. So... Yeah, Sleeping Gods, really, really good so far. Definitely recommend it if you can find it. Yeah, it's two hundred and fifty dollars on Amazon eBay. So if you want yeah, to get like it. I said, I know I was oh. I was looking at. Oh, that's the lowest price. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at a couple uh, stores because I was like, I'm going to talk about this game. Is anybody going to be able to get it? And I did not see it in stock anywhere. So six hundred and seventy four ninety nine for the Kickstarter plus Tides of Ruin on eBay. <laughs> now here's what I'll say, Josh. There's a lot wow. of stuff in that box. There's a lot of stuff in that box. There's not $675 worth of stuff in that box, so Josh. There just isn't. Josh, that's more than an Xbox Series X. That's, yeah. That's the Series X and an S. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so my apologies, listener. Uh, but maybe just put that down on the wish list for don't the future. Have, you don't have to apologize. I was just curious if we could find it. Well, no, uh, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not encouraging people to spend six hundred seventy-five. Don't spend that game. much. No. no, do not. Do not do that. So, all right, though. With that, Josh, uh, what is your first topic this week? Oh, okay. So I, I, I meant to cover this last week. Um, Renegade Games uh, is bringing a new way to tabletop RPG roleplay game. Uh, they, you know, we saw a little bit from Renegade when they did Kids on Bikes, which was their first attempt at getting into the RPG universe. But now um, they've fully embraced uh, the licensing agreements that they've made with uh, Hasbro, essentially. And they've turned a few games, Vampire, The Masquerade, Transformers, and G.I. Joe, into role-playing games using a new role-playing game system called Essence 20, and honestly, I just really wanted to read um, their press briefing on it and talk about what Roll20, Essence 20 is for them. Um, so this is coming directly from Renegade, um, where they talked about it at their virtual uh, con they just did recently. Um, but uh, Essence 20 is a D20-based system, uh, D20 if... I mean, everyone should know it's a die with 20 sides. Uh, the core mechanic for resolving a roll is for the player to roll a d20 along with their skill die, ranging from a d2 to a d20. The result of the d20 and skill die must exceed the difficulty of the test in order to succeed. Uh, characters with a specialization in the skill being tested get to roll their skill die and all dice below it, which is, I think, a pretty big change. Um, to these systems um, and pick the highest results to add to their D20 roll, increasing their odds of success. Uh, what's more, a max value roll on any die is a critical success, leading to more chances for crits 
and opportunities for great role-playing uh, incorporating them. Character creation follows a three-pronged approach based on their origin, which is what type of person are they, their role, which is what is their place in the team, and influence, which is what experiences have led them to this point. Characters' abilities and skills are based on the four S's, strength, speed, smarts, and social. These options give an amazing depth and breadth to the variety of characters that, that a player can create. The character backgrounds, character flaw system, and story point system uh, awarded for mission success, special heroics, and spectacular roleplay lend themselves to a cinematic and cooperative roleplaying experience that is a great fit for upcoming games. Uh, so, I don't know too much about your experience, if you have any with RPGs. I will say... Um, me kind of diving into Pathfinder, second edition with the Pathfinder group, uh, has been and is, still is kind of a daunting task for me. Um, and I think a lot of that plays into my inexperience more than anything else, where I'm constantly like questioning what I can do, when I can do it, how I can do it. Uh, something that this uh, at least makes me think of is like the gateway to RPGs, the gateway game for tabletop role-playing games, where it seems like they're really making uh, something that focuses on the role-playing aspect, where you can be more imaginative and less on having to worry about like skill checks or how to build your character, because they're also limiting the resources that you have to do that, uh, where... I like the idea that, I mean, if where we are now in our Pathfinder campaign, this kind of sounds like easy mode to me, so, but I don't want to sell it short on that because I think if I got in on this system when I started, it would be a different story. But uh, that being said, I do like a few ideas. Like I like that this is using existing IP. So you're actually creating characters in this world that, depending on your age, you might be very familiar with um, the universes of Transformers or G.I. Joe or Power Rangers or, or Vampire the Masquerade. But I also like that it lets you create a character in that world as well, so you're being unique to that set uh, of characters or missions or whatever. Does the Essence 20 system, does it say anything to you to to you? Does it mean anything to you? Does it make you want to try an RPG more or less or neither? So I have always wanted to try an RPG. So this doesn't necessarily change that significantly. What it does do, though, it makes me wonder how do people ever decide what RPG they're going to play? Because yeah. there feels like there's so many different systems out there and there's so many different directions you can go when it comes to playing a tabletop rpg that i don't know how people decide and i think that is almost one of the biggest contributing factors as to why i haven't ever played one is i don't know if i'm going to pick the right one right yeah. like this is a long this is something you do for the long haul right like you go in and granted you can't have one-off 
adventures. Like that's not something that's not like you can't do that. But most people, when they're getting into these, it's the intent that this is going to be a campaign that just continues and you yeah. just keep going with it, right? Now, on the surface, when I read this as someone who has not played tabletop RPGs, I can say that what they said and how they explain it makes perfect sense to me. I'm yeah. like, I can follow all of that. So I, I do think that is helpful that when I read that, I'm like, oh, I can understand how that works. That makes sense. Uh, so that is nice. That is something that is helps kind of break down a little bit of a wall there. I don't know that any of the IP specifically that Renegade has are... RPGs I would want to get into as far as their licensed IP. Sure. Um, I, I do think that they have some other um, RPG games that I, I find interesting as far as, or potentially interesting as far as thematic goes. We had talked about kids on bikes back in the day. I think that is a really interesting um, potential perspective on an RPG and, and something I would like to check out. Um, they also are the ones who do Overlight, which I think sounds kind of cool. So, you know, they have those things, but, I, you know, I don't know that I'm going to jump into Power Rangers or G.I. Joe um, or Vampire the Masquerade. Maybe I would. I don't know. But the, on the surface, those don't jump out at me. Yeah. Um, but Josh, as someone who has and is playing, you know, tabletop RPG stuff, uh, is this something where you think you'd want to be experiencing this? In a, I don't want to say necessarily instead of Pathfinder, because obviously who you play with matters. Yeah. But would this be something where maybe you'd be like, hey... I feel confident enough of my experience playing Pathfinder so far that I feel like I could jump into a group of novices <laughs> of other people who are novices with tabletop RPGs and do a system like this. Well, I'll say I'll say this. Uh, there is nothing that I have done in Pathfinder that I feel confident about. <laughs> um, <laughs> I constantly feel like I'm messing it up or not doing something right. Um, but that is definitely a me problem um i do think back to our conversations between me you and lucas trying to like think about maybe trying to do like a skype uh tabletop rpg and originally and maybe even still i think that weave is a great system for that but this does def definitely does sound um like another easier option where you're limiting how much you need to know to run a game or be part of a game. Kind of like, yeah, like the intermediate, this is how you play um, a tabletop RPG game. Um, so I, I, I love that. I love their initiative, no pun intended, uh, on putting together the system and trying to make it work with what they're putting out. So I do, I do, uh, give them credit for that. And I would love to, if I wasn't so terrified of going to a convention right now, I would love to check this out at PAX Unplugged, but <laughs> that ain't going to happen this year. I hear so, you there. I hear you there. Anything else about the, their their new Essence 20 system you want to talk about, Josh? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. Man. I will say, though, Renegade, it seems like they are continually pushing things forward pretty hard. Yes. Uh, in Did all it? aspects of what they're doing. Yeah, they, they do not seem like they are settling one bit, that is for sure. All right, Josh, for my first topic this week, uh, we're going to take a look at Kickstarter for the first half of 2021. Um, this is from an article by Thomas Badeau. Badeau, I think that's how you'd say that last name. Um, over on Medium, but it's, it's an analysis of Kickstarters for 2021 for the first half of the year, uh, looking both at board games and video games, though definitely predominantly 
um, and the success of board games. Uh, so just kind of reading from a couple things right here. I'm not going to read the entire article, but you can go check it out, like I said, on Medium if you want to. Um, but the article says, quote, if anything, there's a slight, uh, back up here, sorry. Uh, looking at the data per semester, it is obvious that the ongoing trend in growth for tabletop games has not slowed in 2021. If anything, there's a slight acceleration with 11%, uh, with a gr- plus 11% number of funded projects increased from the second half of 2020, which had a plus 10% increase from the previous semester. So basically, 2020, second half of 2020 went up from the first half of 2020, and now the first half of 2021 is even higher than the second half of 2020 was. So gaming is growing um, as far as projects on Kickstarter. Um, he It continues later that says, Tabletop games projects raised more in the first half of 2021 than during the entirety of 2017. <laughs> yeah. There's a good chance that by the end of the year, we can say the amount of money raised in Kickstarter by Tabletop projects has doubled in four years especially when a hit success like Avatar, the tabletop RPG, is not appearing in the numbers shared. Oh, okay. And that thing made almost $10 million. So that was a big thing. Um, So in the first half of 2021, there have been 52 tabletop projects that raised more than $500,000, and 28 of these raised more than $1 million. Looking at these million-dollar projects, we noticed three interesting profiles behind the growth of the category. Board game projects based on video game franchise, The Witcher, Monster Hunter, Stellaris. Projects that were in the top eight most funded tabletop games for the first semester of 2021. So, Josh, we've talked about repeatedly on this show that we're going to see, we felt like we we're going to see more board games based on video games. And it definitely seems like this is coming true and they're doing very, very well. My question to you, Josh, before we continue, why do you think they do so well? I, I don't know because they're, like we grew up in a world knowing that these adaptations are always terrible. Right. <laughs> so uh, it is very interesting, but I guess I would say they're, I mean, almost exclusively miniatures based games. So they're really, to me, it seems to be more delivering in the collectible aspect than the, the gameplay aspect. Um, at least that's why I can say I own Horizon. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know. It's very interesting. Uh, I guess the easy answer would be to say the quality is much better than it used to be. Yeah, I would agree there. The quality definitely does seem to be better. Uh, the next interesting growth area or interesting um, thing to look at, tabletop role-playing games. The One Ring, Twisted Taverns, Ouroboros, Grim Hollow, Coyote, and Crow. The total number of tabletop RPGs raising more than 1 million prior to 2021 was four. That number has now more than doubled. And the year is far from over, with at least a sixth game joining that shortlist, the aforementioned Avatar Legends. Um, And listener, if you aren't familiar with that tabletop project or that RPG project, uh, the reason it's not included in these numbers is it because it just finished funding after the first half of the year. Um, So that's why it's not included, but it will be another $10 million thrown on top here. Uh, Note that I'm not including the very popular campaigns around tabletop RPG accessories, such as dice and miniatures, which have seen a lot of success prior to 2021. So this is just, again, focused on uh, tabletop RPG, the game systems, not any of the accessories that go along with it. Do you think, Josh, that people are hungry for tabletop RPGs because 
theoretically, quote unquote, COVID is, you know, on the decline, which, you know, obviously recent numbers maybe indicate that isn't true. But do you think this is people wanting to get back together, people discovering that they can do these things through Zoom and their their PC in other ways? Like, why do, yeah. why do you think the growth in these tabletop RPGs is happening? I think more for me, like, thing that I think the most of is that it must be growing because people are finding ways to make it work over um, um, the internet because, you know, everyone it's, it's this huge group board game players, right? Board games are this hobby in general that just couldn't do what they do all the time for a year and Mm -hmm. a half. (laughs) Um, So yeah, they spent their time trying to figure out ways how to do that. And so do the companies that make the games. So yeah, I think that it's growing. I guess it could grow either way, right? It could grow in the aspect that people feel comfortable getting back together and now they're inspired to try a TT, like tabletop role-playing game. Or it could be growing because they were like, hey, I finally figured out a way for all of us to do Skype or Zoom together. But uh, really what we're learning is that COVID only temporarily slowed down tabletop role-playing games yeah no i hear i hear you there um and then the third thing or observation is sequels expansions reprinting of successful board games so everdell zombicide mythic battles root castle of mad king ludwig the isle of cats Uh, this is not a particularly new trend but it's worth noting that the very good numbers for tabletop projects on kickstarter are thanks to those proven games going back to the platform for their next stage of life cycle josh what are your thoughts on doing a second printing of a game through a Kickstarter. Like if you were so successful with that first run, you should just, you know, put it in retail, right? Yeah. It's one, it's one of the things I hate about, I hate is a strong word. It's one of the things I dislike about Kickstarter is um, big companies using Kickstarter. I mean, we've definitely discussed this previously. Um, it just doesn't seem to embody the message of Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And if you're a company that wants to put out a second printing or a deluxe edition, that's that's something that you should be basing on your numbers. You shouldn't be putting it up on Kickstarter, taking away money from smaller designers. I, it, but that's you know that's just me. Like obviously, there's people who disagree with that that sentiment. But yeah, all right. Just put out, just put out your second edition. And yeah, put it in retail stores. <laughs> no, I hear that. I hear that. Uh, one interesting thing to note, though, is that beyond the one million dollar plus projects, though, all other funding tiers, with the exception of the under ten thousand tier, raised less money and saw fewer projects funded. The difference is small, but something to think about. So, Josh, surprising to you that. All other things did a little less good, but the big ones did super, super good. Surprise, not surprised. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, surprised in the in regards to the fact that anything was successful in this past year. So yeah, yes. true, true. <laughs> uh, otherwise, uh, I I don't know that I was even really thinking about like the different levels of projects. I'm just surprised you're not telling me that Kickstarter. Um, was going out of business after last year, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, good for good for everyone who who was successful, and I mean, even good. It's still even good to see that they only lost that little. Like, 
I, I just, I keep thinking, what's it going to look like in three months? And that hasn't stopped for a year. What's it going to look right. like in three months? That's just been like my motto for life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so just some important, you know, actual numbers to keep in, in, tra- or keep it in mind here. Uh, for 2020, uh, Tabletop Games raised $241 million on Kickstarter. Uh, so far in 2021, the first half of the year, they raised $146 million for the first half of 2021. Uh, so when you go then to talk about video games, Josh, this year, video games have raised $13 million on Kickstarter. Such a crazy number. Isn't that ridiculous? Don't think about Kickstarter and video games together. Yeah. So obviously, uh, video games versus board games. Uh, last year in 2020, uh, when they had an entire year, uh, video games made $25 million. Uh, so when you compare that $25 million, you know, to the $241 million that board games are doing, Kickstarter might be the one place where board games like outperform video games yeah. uh, as far as, you know, sales go. So and backers go and all of that good stuff. Uh, the video game information isn't super interesting. Um, there's only two projects so far this year that have raised more than $500,000. Those are Friday Night Funkin'. <laughs> Say that as carefully as I can. Ugh. And Coral Island um, are the only two that have gone over five hundred thousand dollars. A number of games between one hundred thousand and five hundred thousand. Um, you know, so as far as that goes, but video games tend to be pretty steady. They're they're not blowing things out of the water, but they've been pretty steady since twenty sixteen or so, raising about twenty million dollars a year total rev- or total raised. Um, for video game projects, and at 13 million so far this year, they look to be in that you know 20 to 26 million range by the end of the year. So video games kind of holding steady there, um, but you know, as we have seen, probably not the best platform uh, for raising money for development goes. So, Josh, do you think Kickstarter will ever get better for video games? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't no, think so. Yeah. Uh, it's too much of a gamble. It is. It definitely is. So. Yeah, and I and I just think that you know, in general, not that it's a hundred percent true, but in general, video games just take so much more to make uh, compared to board games. Like you can have board game companies of legitimately, you know, one to three people, and very, very rarely do you hear of video games being made by one person. Uh, and when you do, it's usually people making a really big deal about it because it doesn't happen all that often. Uh, looking at you, Tom Hat and Hap and Axiom Verge. Uh, but with that, then Josh, anything else? Other thoughts on Kickstarter? I'm happy it's around. Uh, you, that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> if you had to guess, Josh, how many more Kickstarters do you think you'll back before the end of the year? Oh, God. Between now and the end of the year, if you had to guess, how many more do you think it'll be? What month is it? September? September. Uh, f- five. Okay. Okay. We'll see. I'm, be- awesome. I'm betting on the lower side. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, Josh, what's your second topic? Uh, my second topic is, well, I changed it originally. Yeah, it was, you did. What the heck's going on with Kotaku? And I still think that's a valid question. Um, but I'm going to change it to um, something more important, I think. Uh, and it, that is, what is Sony's responsibility? And this is in regards to, you're going to see so many headlines saying Sony U-turns uh, on. Oh, yeah whatever um but it's in regard to horizon forbidden west um where i would i don't know i want to go ahead and argue that only real like people looking into it really noticed this happened uh as far Mm -hmm. as like in like people really like 
looking into gaming, noticed that um, Sony had promised promised that their launch window games, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm sure they said a specific way, uh, would not require an upgrade if you were going from the PS4 version to the PS5 version. Um, launch window, I believe, is the is the correct term they used. And originally, Horizon Forbidden West was in the launch window um, for what they determined to be, I guess, the fiscally. It's not even the fiscal year. It's whatever time they whatever. determined it to be. <laughs> yeah, whatever the time they said it was going to be launch window. Who knows? Yeah, whatever that was. So uh, they said they they did say, well, Horizon is now falling out of our uh, launch window time that we determined. Yeah. So they they released uh, the pre-orders. This is when people started to notice, well, wait a second. I have to pay more <laughs> to get this game on the PS5 if I'm buying it on the PS4, um, which was $10 more. Yeah. Okay. So $10 more if you bought the PS4 version to get, essentially, pay the same price you would be paying for it on the PS5. Anyways, right? There's $70 PS5, $60 PS4. Yeah, but I feel like there was a... I think you feel like you had to do something special to get the cross-generational package or whatever it was. If you wanted to cross-gen, it was $80 to get... You had to buy the Digital Deluxe or Deluxe Edition at $80 so you could get... So they didn't offer you, like um, Ghost of Tsushima, a flat out $20 or $10 upgrade costs for mm-hmm. the game. You had to buy $80 or above. So I asked you the question I titled this, what is Sony's responsibility to you? So for me, uh, a lot of the problems that came up were people being mad that Sony promised this before the PS5 even launched. Right. And uh, that it was in writing in a blog post that they would honor this. Uh, and then now that they that they weren't. Uh, for me, I don't even know that I'm so... Um, that I'm mad about that aspect of it because they're using their wording that it fell out of that window, which uh, of time, mm-hmm. where they said it would be um, covered. Now, maybe... Uh, I would might want to fight against the what was your window of time specifically argument, but really what it comes down to is trying, and, so, and this is something I wrote in the Discord, really thinking about the people getting mad about this, not trying to single out who is getting mad, because I don't think the people getting mad fall in the window of people, the group of people I think should be mad, Whereas um, the people who have a PS4 right now, who have the money to get a PS5, but they just can't get one. Right. But they're like me, and they're huge Horizon Zero Dawn fans, right? And they're like, well, Mm -hmm. it's looking like the only way I can play this game as of now is to get it on my PS4 and and play it on my PS4 until I can find a PS5. Right. And in that regard, I think it is bad that (laughs) i would have to spend either 80 dollars to get the one the ps5 version which i can't play 
or spend 60 and then have no way to upgrade my game unless I rebuy it at right. $80 to play it on my PS5. Well, $70. 70 Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. It would actually be cheaper just to buy a new version yeah. of the PS5. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so I, I, I do sympathize with those people, and I do think that it is unfair for them. Uh, where where do you stand on this whole uh, thing? <laughs> well, a I don't think people should have to pay to upgrade. It's just I, my general thought that. on that. You know, like if you bought the game, you should be able to play the game no matter what system it's on. Um, that's kind of the way it goes. Now, theoretically, you can do that, right? Like you can buy the sixty dollars PS4 version and then play the PS4 version when you get your PS5. You can still do that, right? You can still uh, it's still an option available to you. But in general, you shouldn't have to pay to upgrade to the PS5 version of the game, which theoretically, you know, how much additional difference is that going to be there? Um, but this is kind of PlayStation's MO for this generation. This is what they did with Ghost of Tsushima. Like, you could... There was some general stuff that was available for free, but if you wanted all the fancy PS5 bells and whistles and the haptics and all that good stuff, um, you know, you had to pay to upgrade to the PS5 version of the game. So it is kind of their MO. In general, like I said, I don't like that, but if they are going to go down that road, which now they very clearly are, at least be clear in your messaging about it. Yeah. Like that to me is the most <laughs> important thing. And I think they have that now going forward. I don't yes. know why this was so hard to get to that point. Um, I know some people <laughs> are, are really on the board with Sony trying to be greedy. I, I think that gives Sony too much credit, to be totally honest. <laughs> yeah. I think they just but I think they just messed up. I think just someone didn't realize that that it was the wording they had used before. And they're like, oh, here's what we're going to do. Like, I genuinely believe that wholeheartedly. Someone just didn't know. Because yeah. if you had followed Sony and PlayStation for long enough, bumbles and missteps like this happen way more than they should for companies making billions of dollars. Like, way more than they should. And I genuinely feel like someone just didn't talk to someone or someone forgot that they had said they were going to do this. Now I will say, yes, the term launch window is super nebulous. I would argue though, that 15 months probably isn't Pass launch, window launch anymore. Window, yeah. yeah, I think we're probably <laughs> out of that at that point, but either way that withstanding, uh, I don't think people should have to pay for upgrades. I think what you're going to see now is a whole bunch of people buying the $60 version that only have PS fives. Yes. Yeah. Because why would you buy the $70 version when you can upgrade for free? Yeah, yeah, 100% correct. Uh, so. so you just said it. Um, Sony has now U-turned on their stance. And if you buy Horizon Forbidden West on PS4, you will be able to upgrade to the PS5 version for free. Not only that, but Sony um, uh, did come forward and say uh, all first-party exclusives that are cross-gen, meaning releasing on PS4 and PS5, both digital and physical will now offer a $10 digital upgrade option for PS4 to PS5. Um, that covers God of War. Uh, they, I mean, I guess I would say optimistically put Gran Turismo 7. <laughs> you still don't think that game's ever coming out. I love that. I no. love your, your commitment to that. I love your <laughs> Not commitment only, to it. There's no way it's coming out on PS4. I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> um, I think we have a better chance of seeing PS5, PS6 compatibility. Uh, for Gran Turismo 7. I'm sorry, PS5 Plus. Um, 
And any other exclusive cross-gen PS4 and PS5 titles published by Sony Interactive. Um, this also very important to note. <laughs> you cannot own a PS5 digital edition and take advantage of this. Yeah. So don't try, don't be like me and think like, hey, I'm just gonna get the digital edition because it's cheaper. I'll never run into problems in the future where that will be inconvenient and I will have to consider spending another $600 on a new PlayStation 5. (laughs) Definitely, that won't happen to you. (laughs) I mean, I am pretty disappointed, though, that they didn't let me upgrade from my PS4 Pro to a PS5 for only $10. That is a pretty That would have been a great deal, yeah. I know, Uh, I'm very disappointed by that. I mean, GameStop would have let you do that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so that's it. That's Board with Video Games' official stance on Sony upcharging on their games. Well, and just and just to let you know, Josh, like you're not gonna have to pay for this game anyway. I got you. Well, you don't have. I mean, I just pre-ordered the three hundred dollar collector's edition oh, of yeah, it. You did, did you? Never mind. Never mind. So you don't have to pay for it. Okay, I guess I don't now. That's so weird. I was totally gonna pre-order this game at some point, but I guess you know you're discless. I got a digital code headed your digital way. Code. Yeah. Yeah, but you still get the fancy steel book to show off to people. So the display case it says too. Steel book yeah. display case. Yep, yep, yep. All right, Josh. Uh, for my last topic, I didn't even put in the notes. I put surprise topic because I have two things that, and I'm going to propose them both to you, and you just got to pick one of them, and that'll be our topic. Sound okay. good? Okay. Sure. So topic number option number one. Most anticipate. We did um, obviously the metafall stuff. But topic is most anticipated or the games we're looking forward to most this fall. Okay. So that's one topic. Second topic is, uh, as you may know, dear listener, um, pretty much the same day that Sony announced, hey, here are pre-orders for Horizon Zero Dawn. They also announced that this coming Thursday, they're doing a PlayStation showcase, (laughs) not a state of play, but a showcase. So, Josh, the second topic option is us. Just like we predict, made some designs for E3 for some companies, <laughs> designing PlayStation's showcase for this Thursday. Okay. Which of the two topics would you like to tackle? Oh, I feel like I'm less prepared for the first topic, so we should do the second. We should do the state of play. <laughs> okay, excuse me, Josh. Showcase, not a state of play. A showcase. All right, hold on. Let me change my prediction time. <laughs> uh... Oh. Imagine I could spell real quick. Okay, fixed. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, honestly, this is not at all what I was gonna, thought you were going to pick, but that's okay. I totally <laughs> thought you were going to go most, anti- most anticipated games of the fall, so maybe we'll do that one next week then. But Josh, okay, so if you are PlayStation, and now you have a little bit of egg on your face about the whole Horizon thing, and you're just like, okay, <laughs> we need to come over no, here and... and- no, PlayStation does not have egg on their face over the Horizon thing. Oh, they totally do. They don't. <laughs> Okay. It's we've seen Nintendo and Microsoft backtrack on things in the past year. This is just how the industry works now. It is. It is how the industry works. But people remember it for a while, though. Oh, those but what I'm saying, the, the, <laughs> the point of that, though, uh, saying the egg on the face, though, is that you are trying to get people to completely forget about it. Yeah. On okay, because of what you're going to show them on Thursday. Sure. Now, PlayStation traditionally has been really good about setting expectations, right? They come out and they say, hey, we're doing this thing. Here are all the things that are not going to be there. The only thing that they have said is not going to be there is PSVR 2. Yeah. 
and they th- talked about games coming out this holiday and 2022 and into the future is kind of like the wording that they use so with that josh if you are playstation yeah obviously there are some things we know about some things we don't know about uh but what do you think is a going to be there but also b what do you like hope is going to be there i can probably put those into the same category okay um so this is i mean i know you say this is like them trying to get the egg off their face but they clearly have had this plan for a while oh no absolutely they so for sure have i think we, they're hoping now it'll take care of that yes i think people forget that sony wasn't at e3 and they have been taking their time on um not having big state of plays right they they had state of plays that showed off um small independent games in one big title right so like death loop was the last one and they yep, showed like was the last an one. eight minute trailer um, and then the one before that was Horizon. They showed an eight-minute mm-hmm. trailer. So yes, showcase implies a bigger event. So uh, we need. What do we need to see? We need to see Silent Hills. Oh, okay. It's just been in the zeitgeist for too long. Like it. It will be it, when it is revealed. It'll be the worst kept secret ever, except for who's working on it. That will be the secret, right? Who's working on it? We know it's coming. Uh, we've already heard the leaks of Alan Wake, which is great. I'm glad that that is leaked and supposedly going to be there. I was like, do you think that's going to be at the at the showcase, or do you think that's going to be just mentioned earlier in the week sometime? Do you know if, if Sony can reveal an Alan Wake remake at their event, it steals all of the thunder away from Microsoft. Alan Wake, a game that is almost exclusively considered an Xbox or PC game, yeah. They would just steal so much thunder. Uh, yeah. So it could be great for them. I think I think a, an awesome new like reveal will be a Splinter Cell game with a partnership with Ubisoft. Um I won't I'm not gonna use my prediction um in this, but if you if that's one of your guesses, you can use it. I just won't say that's my prediction. No, that's fine. You're fine. Um I think uh we get a God of War gameplay tease, uh, just a little bit, mm-hmm. some voice acting, um, maybe like kind of like Horizon, maybe like an interaction, um, maybe teasing like um, um, boy, grown up. <laughs> boy, but I, teenager. What, right, yeah. What I really think we'll see uh, is a surprise November release for something. Like, yeah. Uh, the big... No one knew this was coming, and we're going to get it out before Christmas. And I think that will be their their big hype moment. I mean, I really feel like like you focusing on calling it a showcase. I really think that's important because I think that does there is something that separates a state of play with a showcase. Yeah. What do you think that big surprise is? <sighs> you know. I don't I think it's going to be something I don't even know about. I think it might be something that we don't know about that they've been developing. I don't think it's going to be something like Last of Us 2 remake. I don't think it's going to be something like I sorry, I don't think it's going to be Last of Us remake remake or Last of Us 2 multiplayer. Uh it could be something like an uncharted like to time with the movie. Mm-hmm. But that wouldn't be like coming out in November. Um, I don't know what, what their, like, hey, this will be a November game could be. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting. There is so many things that... Oh, Knack 3. 
Knack. <laughs> oh, knack, knack, knack. Um, it's really, it's really tough for myself to be able to separate like what I have heard and what I have read and what I have seen, and like eventually everything kind of gets jumbled in my head as to like what is legitimate and like what is something I read one time that clearly was just somebody making something up, right? right. Like, it, it gets very hard to like separate the what is potentially legitimate rumor or leak from you know, what is clearly just somebody making something up to, at the hope of um, getting potentially something right and, and seeming like you're, you're, you know what's going on. So with that being said, I do think there probably is some still this fall game. Uh, I, I do think it would be helpful for PlayStation to have something. Um, what that is, I don't know. The The big rumor is that everyone keeps saying is that you know, Bloodborne is going to be coming to PC and there is going to be a patch released for PS5, you know, yeah. to shape to shape up Bloodborne. Uh, we'll see. You know, I, I don't know that that's like groundbreaking news. I, there are definitely people who want that. Tied to that, though, too, is also the rumor of, of um, Uncharted coming to PC. So, you know, there are people who are saying that, hey, you know, we're going to hear a bit more about their PC strategy at this. I feel like that would be a mistake because most playstation people don't want to hear about what you're doing on pc not that i care but some people get really up in arms about that so it's trying though to focus on like you said some sort of classic playstation game coming back um you know we've heard about potentially um infamous returning we've heard about potentially um oh shoot what was it oh uh uh resistance collection is the other thing that has been making the rounds again but again these are just people who might be saying things so what I would really love to see or what I really expect to see is, yes, God of War, I think, will be there. I think without a shadow of a doubt, I'm pretty confident. I feel like that's the thing I'm most confident about is that we will see a God of War trailer um, so that we can kind of see what's going on with that game. Um, I would like to see uh, an update on Returnal. I would love to see hear about potentially some DLC for Returnal. Uh, and I could also see them being like, hey, we're going to release an update also soon that allows you to like do a mid-run save or something like that. Because that is definitely the thing that is asked most about. And I think the biggest critique of Returnal is that um and to show you know you're listening to the fans per se um that's something i definitely could see i do think we'll have something uh that people aren't going to be super excited about like uh the upgrades for like gta 5 like that new version of gta 5 that's coming for next gen i think something like that is going to be there just to kind of maintain those relationships that they have uh so i think that's going to happen we'll definitely still see something for or I think we'll definitely see something for Deathloop, Kenna, like those games that are still coming um, in short order after the showcase, I think will be there. Uh, but I, I I, feel like the big thing is we're going to see Naughty Dog's multiplayer factions to whatever it is. Yeah. I, I think it's time to to spring the lid on that or and or uh, the supposed remake slash remaster of the first The Last of Us. Uh, I, I kind of feel like that kind of is poised at this point especially if that's something that can still happen this fall um and and i don't think it was a coincidence of when we got the information about the horizon delay and the timing of this showcase i don't think that is coincidence i think they were waiting to figure out whether or not horizon could get out and then once they made that decision they were going to then say like well here's this other thing we potentially have for this fall um you know the metal gear solid silent hills remake stuff that's out there could any of that happen sure the blue point acquisition could that happen sure like all those things (laughs) but like who knows you know how much of that is actually legitimate and how much of that is just people saying stuff um so 
I, I think it's good to be look forward to this. I, I think there's going to be some neat stuff there, but I think for the most part, it's going to be stuff we already know about with just a couple sprinkled in things that we don't that's going to hopefully make it feel like a really good show uh, i think we could also see something from like forspoken uh, yeah. I, I do think that that or uh, the the hogwarts game something like that i think we could potentially see but I, i'm leaning more towards most towards forspoken for that um, but i'm excited you know I, I do like the fact too that after the showcase they're having developer interviews and stuff like that so it's gonna be like a pretty tight 40 minute showcase i would assume and then you'll have the opportunity to stick around and check out developer interviews and all that good stuff afterwards if you want to. So, um, yeah. Are you going to be able to watch this live, Josh? Are you going to watch it when it, as it happens? I think so. It's Thursday at what time? I think at four your time, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'll have to stop doing work, but I can definitely watch it. <laughs> so I have a meeting on my calendar at work. That <laughs> Coincidentally. <laughs> I know. Hand to hand. Awesome. All right. <laughs> So, listeners, let us know before the showcase happens. What are, what are you gonna? Is there anything you're excited to see? Anything you're hoping that'll be there? Let us know. Otherwise, obviously, we'll we'll probably recap what was talked about um, oh, yeah. next week. So, with that, we're gonna move on to prediction prediction time. Obviously, we record on Sundays. This post on Tuesdays. Um, so we're gonna I always miss news on Mondays. So we always try to give a a guess as to what is going to be announced during our time gap that happens josh what's your prediction for this week uh i changed my prediction because i realized that the sony showcase was happening after our prediction oh gotcha uh, timeline so i'm going to go with a relatively easy prediction um that cyberpunk 2077's next gen update will be officially delayed until 2022 as we all know there's no way on Earth, that this next gen update comes out before 2022. Ooh, okay, okay. Did you, you see that the newest patch re- like removed reflections from water? No, I did not see that. <laughs> in the in the whole game, the newest patch removed all reflections from any water in the game. Oh man, that's like a whole new level of puddle game. Like, whoops, <laughs> yeah. They had to hire. They hired um, a modder to join their team. Because oh, I did see that. They, that person is doing a better job than their staff. <laughs> I did see that. I did see that. Um, okay, so this is going to be a weird... I think we're going to get an announcement for Nintendo Direct. And I think it actually might even be in the same week. Unless Nintendo decides to push it a week later, I could see them announcing Monday for like a Tuesday or Monday for a Wednesday. Um, although, so we'll yeah, see. Yeah, we just had yeah. one. Did we have like a, a Direct Direct? Every yeah. All the things, rumored things I'm seeing are saying there's another Direct this month. Hey, I mean, bring it on. Bring it on. Maybe it's going to be specifically about like Metroid Dread or something mm. like that. So, yeah. All right. With that, then we were going to move on to our recommendations for a well-rounded life. Obviously, we're a gaming podcast, but we want to give you one other thing we're into that's helping us live that balanced life. Josh, what is your recommendation this week? Two. I didn't add this other one. Again, I'm that's cheating. Okay. I'm cheating the system. First, I'm going to recommend the Billie Eilish special on Disney+. Plus. It is fantastic. And... It did something that I haven't experienced since Metallica, um, S&M, Symphony of Metallica, yeah. uh, where halfway through, so the special, they do a little bit of animation in it, but it's mostly, as she says at the top of it, the first time she's run the new album from uh, in track order from start to finish. And it's filmed at the Hollywood Bowl, which is an incredible place to film something, but uh, about 
about a halfway through, uh, she brings in the um, Philharmonic Orchestra, and it and it um, plays over and with the second half of her album, which uh, really made me enjoy a lot of those tracks even more than before. Um, and you know, you can kind of tell some of it's, you know, maybe I would, I don't want to say lip synced, but you know how they have to like, uh, dub and things like that for specials where you can kind of see a little bit, but, um, not only did I watch it myself, but the next morning I watched it with my wife and my son, because, uh, with the exception of a few swears is pretty much no swearing. There's a couple mm-hmm. songs that have it, but, um, he was dancing, he was loving it. Um, it's very cool. I really enjoyed it. And then, uh, only murders in the building on Hulu. This is something I didn't really know where this was going to go. I liked, I enjoyed the premise, but this is a show acted and produced by Steve Martin, Martin Short and Selena Gomez, which if you think that's a weird pairing, you're right. It is. Um, (laughs) I grew up in a, pre-Selena Gomez world as far as acting goes. So I I never saw her really act in anything. I haven't even seen Spring Breakers. Um, So I'll say this. There are parts in this show where she is a phenomenal actress. Mm -hmm. And there are parts in this show where I feel like she's never acted a day in her life. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure that's just has to do with like COVID filming and scene stuff. But like she delivers lines like I would deliver lines in a film. Or show. And this is a show. Um, there are four episodes out now. They release on Tuesdays, but they did drop three episodes on release day originally. Um, it is about these three people who don't know each other, who are connected through meeting briefly a person who was murdered in their very fancy, very expensive apartment building in New York. Um, and they decide to start a podcast because they're all drawn together by a very inspired by serial podcast. Okay. Um, it is fascinating. It is funny. It is interesting. I also think you need to enjoy Steve Martin and Martin Short's humor to enjoy this show. Take that as you will. But yeah, Only Murders in the Building on Hulu and Billie Eilish, Happier Than Ever special on Disney+. Plus. Awesome. Well, those sound like two great recommendations. Uh, my recommendation is a documentary. Imagine no that. No way. <laughs> I know, right? On Netflix called The River Runner. Uh, and this is a documentary about uh, someone who was one of the best uh, kayakers in the world. Uh, did a lot of first descents, did a lot of things um, that no other kayakers had been able to do. And kind of about his story and kind of like who he was, how he was able to support himself being a kayaker. And just kind of what happens when life happens, you know, and you and, and things go on. Um, and then coming back to the sport years and years later um, and him reconciling with um, how he was when he was the best. Now going in and not being the best. Um, and like the example he set and whether that did or did not um, continue on to the current generation and really looking at your 
um, circumstances from a from a very different lens. So it is an interesting take on that. If you are into um, extreme sports, obviously I think that's going to help a little bit with this. But the documentary is meant to be much more insightful and thoughtful um, than that. There is one comment made towards the end of the documentary that I was like, "That is dangerous." Uh, what they said, but then they clarified it at the very, very end. So I was like, <laughs> okay, because I was like, well, I was going to recommend this, but I'm not going to anymore because he says something that I was like, uh, what? And then they clarified later what he meant by that. So, uh, yeah, so if you're into or interested in seeing people kind of be at their best about things and and be, you know, really at the pinnacle of a sport and then have to potentially work their way back to that and kind of what that means for everyone and how you overcome obstacles on the way, and you want to see some sweet footage of people doing ridiculous things in whitewater on kayaks uh the river runner on netflix check it out nice uh josh what do you say you wrap we wrap this show up thanks for joining us everyone in addition to finding us on twitter and instagram at board with vg you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash board with vg so feel free to give us a five star rating over there Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag boardwithvg, so please use that hashtag as well on all social medias so we can see what you're playing or what you're up to. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is, whether you're downloading us from the Dice Tower Network feed or our very own standalone board with video games feed. In lieu of my plugs, I will once again plug the Play Some Video Games podcast. It is officially back. You can search for Play Some Video Games. Uh, it's The first episode is now out officially for everyone. Uh, if you are a patron, you do get early access. Uh, just wanted to make sure... My plug goes a little bit longer because they think they can come at us for runtime and play some video games will not be bored with video games in podcast runtime. I promise you that. <laughs> to I could just like even add some our detriment. St- <laughs> I could add some bopping stuff at the end of the show if you want me to. That's right. It will never happen. <laughs> But they have a full-packed uh, first episode. Uh, Elaine is still the captain of the ship, followed uh, by her trusty cabin boy, Donnie, and Delvin and Devin. <laughs> I just use cabin boy because I love Chris Elliott. Um, so those four are your are your regular contributors, and I would say uh, you could probably look forward to hearing myself and or Kyle at some point on that podcast, as well as former... And current PSVG podcasters. So check them out. Give them a five star rating over there on Apple Podcasts. Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me on all the usual places Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Cyclocross, C Y C O C R O S S. As always, if you have suggestions about future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.